Well, if you are anything like me, uh, you're still recovering from Easter last week. Wasn't it just amazing uh, to gather and to celebrate uh, the resurrection? It was just such a powerful uh, time. If you if you missed it, I just encourage you to go back online and uh, to watch. Uh, you can go to lakepoint.org and uh, check that out. Uh, but it was just amazing. It was fun to have uh, Big Daddy Weave uh, with us, was here, and uh, it was awesome. And yeah, you can cheer for that. It's awesome. And... Uh, and uh, Steve's message was just awesome, or his Big Daddy Steve, as he now insists on being called, and <laughs> all week long in the office, was all I heard. But uh, it, uh, it was awesome. I just encourage you to go, you can check messages out on lakepoint.org uh, if you missed one, but definitely check out last week's, so you can watch the full service there. Uh, I want to talk today about uh, something that is just a big question. In, in my 15 years of being a professional Christian, uh, of working on staff at churches and working in student ministries, a camp pastor, uh, when someone makes an appointment and says, hey, can we talk about something? Th- this question that I want to explore today is the question uh, exceedingly more than any other question uh, that I have been asked. And on the other side of the coin, this is the question in my own life personally that I have asked and wrestled with more than any other question. It's a question I've wrestled with uh, for many, many years. It's a question I continue to wrestle with. It's a question I will, will continue to wrestle with, uh, I'm sure, as long as I live. It's just a big question. And chances are pretty good today uh, that you're wrestling with this question in some area of your life as well. Uh, you probably want to know what the question is. Here's the question. Uh, what is God's will uh, for my life? Uh, you've asked that before. Maybe you're asking that right now uh, in terms of raising kids, in terms of managing finances, in terms of maybe a big uh, career change or some big decision your family's facing, uh, just a unique set of circumstances. And you really want to know what is God's will in this situation, in this area of life? And how do we know? How in the world do we know uh, when we're listening to God and when we hear God's voice? Uh, Because I believe that God is communicating, God is speaking to us. And and how do we know when it's God? And how do we know it's not just, you know, something we ate this afternoon that kind of, you know, was, you know, making us think that? Or how do we know? And and maybe you're here and you're not a Christian or you're just kind of checking this church thing out. And, you know, but you've heard Christians say before, when it comes to making big life decisions about who they married or, you know, where they moved, that, that they felt like God told them to do it. And, and you're kind of like me when they say that, when Christians say that, uh, you're kind of thinking, can you drill down on that a little bit? You know, <laughs> how did you know? Was that written on a piece of toast? Was that, you know, in the sky? How in the world do you know that it's God speaking? And I do believe God communicates and God is speaking to us and, and God wants us to know uh, what we're supposed to do while we're down here on planet earth. Uh, but how do we know? And, and just for the record, I have never heard the audible voice of God. Uh, between you and me, I'm not so sure I want to hear the audible voice of God. I think that would totally just freak me out when that happens in the scriptures. People's eyes blow out of their sockets, all kinds of weird stuff. So, and I don't know how that would work. You wake up, walk down to breakfast. There's God sitting there. You know, hi, how are you? Uh, oh, enjoy your omelet this morning, God. That's good. You have a cold. I'm sorry, God. Well, um, God bless you, or you bless you, or however that works for you. I don't know. I just, I don't know how that would even begin to happen, but I believe God speaks, and, and oftentimes as Christians, we kind of feel like we're playing this cat and mouse game with God, left to our own devices to try to decode or decipher, is this God's will? Is this what I'm supposed to do? And, and if you're anything like me, there's been moments where I have put a tent down at the crossroads of life. And thought, God, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to make any decisions until you give me some sort of sign and some sort of you know, way to know that what I'm doing 
is really your will? And is that how God wants to communicate with us? And what is it, and how do we know that, that we're actually operating uh, within the, the bounds of, of God's will and what he wants us to do with our life? So we're going to answer all that today, and it's going to be great. You're going to know exactly what you're supposed to do. Um, but uh, if you have a Bible, uh, if you could open it with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we are going to begin. 1 Thessalonians chapter Four. And if you're in a life group, uh, we've been studying the book of First Thessalonians in life groups, and uh, we're studying that again today if you've been in life group. And so there's a lot of overlap today, which is great. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 3. Now, when we begin the discussion about the will of God, we begin the discussion with this idea of what's God's will for my life? Uh, often we enter into the conversation because we got a deadline. I need to know by Friday. I need to know uh, what is it that God wants me to do in this particular situation. But when the Bible talks about the will of God, uh, it frames the discussion much differently. And actually, when the Bible talks about the will of God, you can kind of see just big mega themes of the will of God, and three in particular. The first is this. When the Bible talks about the will of God, it talks about the moral will of God, the, the behavioral will of God. Uh, in, in other words, that the Bible over and over again, when you read the scriptures and you begin to study the Bible, you begin to realize there are just these themes that keep reoccurring in terms of our behavior and what God expects for us to do as disciples of Jesus. In fact, it's helpful when you read the Bible, just have a highlighter and just, or a pen and circle things and highlight things and say, this is what God, when you read Proverbs, is a great book to do this, where you just see specific things that this is what God wants me to do and this is how God wants me to behave. All throughout the scriptures, God has spoken clearly. And in other words, there are certain things you don't even need to pray about. There are certain things you don't need to go, am I supposed to, you know, cheat on my wife with this lady at work. You know, you don't even have to pray. It's just God's will. Um, he's given specific instruction over and over again in the Bible on what he wants us to do. He's drawn very clean, specific boundaries on how we are supposed to behave. Here's an example. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. This is just God's will. It's just what God wants you to do. He wants you to be sanctified in your mind, in your thoughts, in your body, in your actions, in your relationships, that, that, that you would begin to take seriously the commands of God. He says, this is God's will for you. This is what God wants you to do. Here's another example, just the next page in the book of 1 Thessalonians. It says this, verse 15 of chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, that in terms of your behavior, God's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, don't repay evil with evil. In the same way that Christ Jesus has forgiven you of your sins, I want you to go into the world forgiving other people. When someone's wronged you, caused you pain, no matter what it is, how bad it hurt, doesn't mean you have to become best friends with them, but I don't want you repaying evil with evil. I want you to give, give thanks, be, be praying continually. These are the things that God has said in terms of how you behave that I want you to do. It's God's moral will. Now, when you begin to read in the scriptures, you'll notice that other times, 
There are other sort of uh, big themes that God talks about all throughout the scriptures. Uh, this would be called God's sovereign will. And sovereign's kind of a big church word. You don't use that word in your everyday language. You don't remind your kids, I'm sovereign over this house. Uh, <laughs> you might, I don't know if you're strange. But this, uh, this is uh, God's providential will is another way to say it. This is God's overarching will uh, that when you begin to read the Bible, you begin to realize uh, that God's never surprised when something happens. In fact, uh, he's ordaining things. He's, uh, the, the, the scriptures teach us that um, the, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, that God was aware, God knew, God sent his son into this world. All of this was part of the sovereign will of God. And God is taking history somewhere. You can think of it this way. That God doesn't just have a will for your life. God has a will for God's life. He has something in history that he is accomplishing uh, that he's not just out to forgive some racists. He wants to destroy racism altogether. He's not just trying to crush poverty in some pockets around the world. He wants to destroy poverty altogether. He's not just calling some people in North Texas into a relationship with himself. He's calling all people into a relationship with himself. And he has a plan and a purpose. And he doesn't give us access to his heart and to his sovereign will for the sake of information. Then in other words, you're not just going, okay, I just kind of want you to know while you're down there on planet earth having fun, here's what I'm trying to do as God. He gives us access to this, not for the sake of information, but for the sake of participation. That we would begin to roll up our sleeves. That what breaks God's heart would begin to break our heart that we would begin to participate in the things of God. And he makes this clear, his moral will, his sovereign will, the things that he cares about is God. God has a will uh, for God's life, something that he is up to in human history in the world. This is an example from Romans. Paul says this way in Romans chapter 14, verse 11. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. Uh, you don't even have to pray for that to happen. You can, but it's just gonna happen. This is something God has said. I have ordained and as God, this is my sovereign will and I want you to participate in it. I'm not just giving you that for the sake of information. I'm giving it to you for the sake that you would begin to participate in what breaks my heart. What breaks my heart would begin to break your heart as well. Now, if you're anything like me, these are all fine and good. You read that in the Bible, you go, okay, that's interesting, that's nice. But this is what we really care about. And the Bible actually talks about this as well. The individual will of God. The personal will of God. That in other words, God actually cares about the things that stress you out. That he actually wants you to know. He's not trying to play cat and mouse games with you and me. He actually wants you to know. And when you find yourself in that situation going, God, we don't know what to do. Are we supposed to move to, you know, Wichita or Houston? We don't know. Actually, neither one of those were ever God's will for you. Um, <laughs> and scratch those. Uh, if you're trying to figure out, you're going, God, we don't know what to do. We just, we just need, uh, just give us a sign. When you find yourself in that situation, God cares. God cares more than you do about you discovering his will. For your life. The psalmist, or excuse me, the proverb writer, Solomon says it this way in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. This is a great passage of scripture to memorize. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he 
will make your paths straight. That in other words, God really cares. When you find yourself in that situation going, God, I would do it if you just tell me. I, if you just make it clear, I'd be glad. And we find ourselves really, making all kinds of deals with God and going, God, I'll go to church for the next six years in a row. You know, I'll do whatever. You just make it clear. Just let me know what I am supposed to do. And the scriptures say God really cares about you knowing and discovering the path that you're supposed to walk down in this world. Cast all your anxieties on me, all the things that bog you down. And if you're anything like me, this is where we get bogged down. God, what am I supposed to do with my life? What is your will for my life? Now, if you're anything like me as well, we tend to ignore these two, but these are primary to God. And we tend just to focus on this. And when we begin to read the scriptures, here's one of the things that we discover, that we begin to figure this out through paying close attention to this and to this. That the more we pay attention to this, in case you fall asleep or leave early, here's kind of the message. This, I'm not talking to anybody specifically, I didn't see it. But uh, if, if, you, if you begin to pay attention to this and to this, it begins to point you in the direction that you are supposed to go. You see this in, in the life of this guy named Paul. Paul has written a majority of the New Testament, and Paul writes letters. And one of the things that's fascinating about this guy named Paul, if you've been hanging around church for a while, you're probably really familiar with the life of Paul. But Paul, uh, he gives us over and over again in his letters uh, what the moral will of God is. In fact, much of what we do as Christians uh, comes from the letters of Paul. And God gives Paul some kind of special divine revelation where he has access, and he writes down to the Romans, to the Corinthians, uh, what the sovereign will of God is, that, that Paul is, is one of the, the primary writers giving us an insight and a window into what the sovereign and what the moral will of God is. But here's one of the things that's fascinating in scripture. You get to see over and over again how the individual will of God plays out in Paul's life. In the book of Acts, and the book of uh, Philippians, over and over again, you see, and one of the things that's fascinating is that Paul's not writing these letters in the lotus position underneath an olive tree. He's often shipwrecked, he's often in jail, things are not going well, which means if you're really confused about what you're supposed to do, or you find yourself in a situation going, I must have missed God somewhere along the way, because if God was really telling me to do that, I wouldn't have ended up here. If you've ever felt that way, apparently you're in really good company. Because Paul, over and over, and we have this myth oftentimes that if we do exactly what God is telling us to do, it's all just going to work out and we're going to know exactly what we're supposed to do and everything's going to be great. But we see from the life of Paul over and over again that it doesn't work that way. If you have a Bible, Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6, flip back a couple of books to Acts chapter 16. Verse 6 is where we will begin. Paul has experienced the resurrection. He's now traveling uh, the world, announcing the resurrection and saying, this is good news for everybody. It's not just a Jewish thing. This is good news for everybody. And he's inviting all people uh, to acknowledge the good news. And so he's traveling around the world uh, with a crew of his friends. And this is how it works. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit 
from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So uh, the Holy Spirit apparently uh, tells Paul to make a detour when things uh, aren't working out for him. It's like, you're not supposed to go there. Uh, The Holy Spirit detours him. Verse 7, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter the Neutrogena, but the Spirit, uh, (laughs) they were a very clean people, Uh, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So now Jesus has gotten involved, and essentially where Paul is, he's around where modern-day Turkey is, Asia Minor. Uh, He's kind of in the Middle East region, and he's trying to take the gospel to all these specific locations. And then it says he does this in verse uh, 8. So they passed by Mycenae, and they went down to Troas. And so Paul's just kind of looking at a map, just trying to figure out where are we supposed to go, what are we supposed to do. And it says, verse 9, during the night, I'm assuming Paul's asleep, Paul has a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Uh, One of the things I love about this story is that you can, if you became a Christian in America or you became a Christian in Europe, you can trace your faith in Jesus back to this story. Because Paul was essentially, he was in the Middle East, he was in Turkey, in that region, and then he set sail. God told him through this vision to go to Macedonia, around where Greece is, and that's where the, Europe becomes, becomes, a, becomes a Christian place, essentially, or, or become, has access to the gospel because of this vision that Paul has, which obviously leads to uh, the gospel arriving on the shorelines of America. And so you can trace your faith back to this vision that Paul has. And another thing I love about this story is that uh, the entire trinity is involved in making sure Paul doesn't go to the wrong place. The Holy Spirit says, no, you're going the wrong direction. Jesus says, I don't think so. And then finally God says, Macedonia, this is where you are supposed to be. And he gets this vision when he's asleep. Apparently God will only speak to Paul when he's unconscious. And there's kind of this sense from the people that are traveling, well, I guess this is where we are supposed to go. But one of the things I love about this story is that if you're anything like me, we tend to focus on the Macedonia moment. The moment when it's written in the sky, the moment he has the vision where God says, this is what you're supposed to do, this is where you're supposed to go. But notice for Paul, he's already on the move before he receives the vision. The sails are already hoisted. He's already headed down a path. And this is not out of disrespect for the will of God. This is in obedience to the will of God that Paul is moving before he has the vision to go to Macedonia. That essentially for Paul, he knows, he's become intimately aware of what the sovereign will of God is. That all people, God is inviting all nations, all people. And so for Paul, he's going, it doesn't matter if I go to Mycenae, it doesn't matter if I go to Galatia, it doesn't matter if I go to Troas, it doesn't matter where I end up, I know what I'm going to care about when I get there. I know my heart is broken for what breaks God's heart. And I, wherever I am, whatever piece of territory my feet end up on, I know what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be announcing the good news of the resurrection. I'm going to be announcing life for all people whenever I get wherever I am going to go. And the vision is just sort of this bonus. He's not even expecting it. He's not even praying for it. But Paul is on the move. His sails are hoisted. Before he has a vision, before uh, the Macedonia moment 
occurs. We tend to want God right it in the sky. But Paul, through knowing the sovereign will of God, and here's the amazing thing, through knowing the sovereign will of God and being intimately aware of what God cares about, it allows him to know the individual will of God and what he is supposed to do with his life wherever he ends up and wherever he goes. And nowhere in the New Testament are we commanded to, to search out signs and wonders. Nowhere in the New Testament are we, are we expected or supposed to as Christians uh, to wait on a sign or to play some kind of hocus pocus uh, cat and mouse kind of game with God where he's going to reveal it through a bumper sticker. He's going to tell you who you're supposed to marry through some kind of game that you're supposed to play that you didn't even know you're supposed to play. Nowhere in the New Testament is God said, that's how I'm going to work with you as my children. In fact, he said, you have been given more than enough information. You have been given the Holy Spirit of God. You have been, what's been revealed to you is the sovereign will of God and the moral will of God so that you know what you are supposed to do while you are down here in this world. I remember several years ago, uh, my wife and I, we had just gotten married. And we were living in Los Angeles at the time, and I had a job offer to move uh, to Atlanta, which is where I'm from originally. And we were thinking, what are, what are we supposed to do? We were praying through this. We were trying to figure out. Uh, there was a time limit on it. And we were so stressed out. It was the first uh, six months or so of marriage. And it was one of those things where some of you have experienced this, where uh, my wife was here in one thing we were supposed to do. I was here in another thing that uh, I really thought we were supposed to do. In fact, it got to the point where uh, at dinner, we would just kind of go, we can't talk about this if, if we're going to uh, have some peace tonight because we just know that we're going to hear different things and believe different things about what we're supposed to do. And I, I remember the first six months of marriage just being so stressed out, wondering, God, would you just write it on the wall through a bumper sticker? You know, what? Just let me know what I'm supposed to do. And I remember going to lunch with a friend, and he said something that just cleared away the clutter and just wiped the mud off the windshield because I was telling him this. I said, Tom, I'm so stressed out. I don't know what we're supposed to do. I don't know. We have this job offer. There's some opportunities here. We're just not sure what we're supposed to do. And he said, have you ever thought about this, Jared, that it doesn't really matter what you do? No. <laughs> that thought has not occurred to me. It's a bigger deal to God when you get there, if you stay. What kind of person are you going to be when you get there? And he didn't have signs and chairs and all that. But, but he's essentially was just saying, when you get to Atlanta, if you stay in Los Angeles, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, you have tremendous freedom in this choice. But what God cares about is when you get there, is your time, your money, your passions, is it going to be obedient to the sovereign will of God? In your marriage, in your attitudes, in your actions, in your behaviors, in your thought life, are you going to be obedient to the moral will of God? Pick something. Do something. Don't just put a tent down at the crossroads. What God cares about is what kind of person you are when you get where you are going to go. And if you're anything like me, we want God to operate like a GPS, to whisper to us or scream at us uh, what direction we're supposed to go in specific instructions. Turn left in 4.2 miles. In six years, I want you to marry this person. Seven years, you're going to transfer to Phoenix. In eight years, I want you to do this. We want God to operate like a GPS, giving specific instructions to us. And he's not. God chooses to operate more like a compass. 
And he's given us specific direction in which he wants us to go with our life. And we have freedom to make decisions. We have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, taking up residence. We have the sacred words of God. And he says, I've given you more than enough direction to begin to move forward in this life. I have given you, I've made more than enough available to you. And he's not going to operate like a GPS, writing it in the sky, saying, here's what I want you to do. He's going to operate like a compass that has revealed a direction that is God our Father. He wants us to move forward in. I was talking with somebody recently, and they had a job offer in Boston. They were trying to figure out, uh, because their kids are in high school here, and their kids really love it, and they're going, are we supposed to move? There's a lot of opportunity. Apparently, when it comes to these kinds of decisions, there is tremendous freedom. God's more concerned with when you get there. Are you going to care about the things that is God I care about? And if you're anything like me, you hear that, you go, that's all fine and good, but I want a sign. In fact, we'll do anything to get a sign. God, you know, if you'll just write it in the sky, if you'll, you know, the next person that calls, that's who I'm supposed to marry, you know. It's risky. <laughs> Grandpa, oh no, it's just strange. Don't play that game, it's a weird game. But, but we'll do anything. God, just give me a sign. In fact, we'll, do, we'll try to manipulate God. I'll go to church longer. Some of you even tried fasting before, thinking, I'll, fa- I'll do whatever it takes. And all things that are fine and good, trying to manipulate God into giving you clarity on a choice. And throughout history, uh, the activity of doing something to try to manipulate God or the gods into giving you some sort of answer, uh, throughout history, that's been the activity of pagans. That's not the activity of Christians. In fact, surrounding nations and surrounding Israel, so one of the things that God got mad at Israel for was that surrounding nations, uh, they believe that uh, livers, this is kind of gross, but they believe that livers of animals were sacred. In, in, in Assyria, a lot of nations did this. They had entire theologians and philosophers that uh, studied animal livers, believing gods were revealing their will, their, their will uh, through the livers of animals. And so if there was a war, a big decision to make as a nation, uh, the kings of Assyria would call it all the liver experts and say, what are we supposed to do? Astrology came on the scene around the 6th century BC where people started looking up at stars and thinking, well, maybe the gods and God or whoever is out there is communicating to us through the alignment and through the patterns of the stars. In fact, many people, uh, this is still in the back of newspapers, many people believe this is uh, how it works. This is how you figure out what you're supposed to do with your life. And here's the good news for you and here's the good news for me. The God of Israel, the God of the scripture says, that's not how I'm going to operate with you. I'm not trying to play some kind of hocus-pocus game. I'm not David Copperfield up here waiting for some grand reveal to you. I'm a father. And I've made a direction available to you, just like a good father does, that I want you to head with your life. And you have more than enough information. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. I have given you a direction with your life that I want you to go. And you have tremendous freedom as a disciple of Jesus as you begin to move forward. But don't just pitch a tent down at the crossroads of life. Begin to move forward in the direction that God has revealed in his word to go. And we still go, oh, I want a sign. Give me a sign. And God's going, no, no, no. You know what happens to people in the Bible who get a sign? They ask for another sign. 
And you'd do the same thing, and I would do the same thing. And I talk to people all the time, go, well, if God would just still do miracles, if he just did a miracle in my life, just for you know, just a quick little short miracle, I would believe in God. No, you wouldn't. You know what people in the Bible do when they get a miracle? They ask for another miracle. It's never enough. And so God hasn't left us to our own devices to try to decode and decipher, was that God or was that something else? God has said, in my word and through my spirit and through the church of Jesus Christ, I have made available to you the direction that I want you to head in with your life. The apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter four as he's concluding this letter. And I love how he wraps this letter up to the church in Philippians, because the letter is pretty short, and I'm imagining he's getting to the end thinking, you know, I got, I got to use this space well. And so he says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever, Paul goes valley girl here, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Put your mind there. And then he says this, verse 9. Whatever you have learned or heard or received from me or seen in me, do it. Just put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. You want peace when making decisions and making choices? Paul says this. Begin to think and dwell about whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, Whatever is excellent, praiseworthy, true, noble, right, begin to put your mind there. And then just begin to do something. Apparently, God trusts this connection between your mind and your feet so strongly. He says, just think about whatever's good, lovely, pure. Think about my sovereign will. Begin to dwell on my moral will. Begin to put your mind there. And then just begin to do something. That for Paul, we get so concerned, well, am I going to do the wrong thing? Am I going to make the wrong choice? Apparently for Paul, the concern isn't that you do the wrong thing. The concern is that you would do nothing at all. That we would just kind of stop at the crossroads of life and go, I'm not sure. I just want a sign. I just want God to reveal something to me. And he's going, I've given you more than enough to begin to make decisions. You have had access and a window into the heart and into the mind of God and what I care about. So that you can know what to do with your life. Thomas Merton said it this way uh, a long time ago, and this is just a beautiful thought, just one to, uh, to, to have and to remember. He said this, receive enlightenment, or we receive enlightenment only in proportion as we give ourselves more and more completely to God by humble submission and love. We do not first see and then act. We act and then we see. And that is why the man who waits to see clearly before he will believe never starts on the journey. Then in other words, it is through beginning to say, God, with the little bit I have, with the window that I have, with what you've made available to me, I'm going to begin to move forward in this direction. And as we begin to move down that path, we begin to discover more and more the individual will of God. And he hasn't just given you the freedom to make decisions. He's given you the responsibility as a disciple of Jesus, to not just stop, not just camp out at the crossroads of life, but to begin to move forward with what we know and with what has been made available to you and to me. This is how it's worked in my life, and I imagine it might work this way in your life as well. The more I have strived and struggled and tried to be obedient to this, and the more I have struggled and strived and tried 
to be obedient to this. The clearer and the clearer this has become. That in moments where I go, God, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. The more and the more that I have tried to be obedient to this with my thoughts, my actions, my attitudes, and the more with my, my finances, my money, my heart, my passions, I have said, God, break my heart for what breaks your heart. And the more I have prayed to see this and be familiar with this, and the more I've prayed to know this and to do this, this has become clearer and clearer. But the times in my life where I have ignored this, and ignored this. This is felt as clear as mud. And the more we become obedient to this, and the more we become obedient to this, the clearer this will become. What's God's will for my life is a fantastic question. Nothing wrong with the question. But the bigger question is, in your life, are you being obedient to God in terms of what he has already revealed? Because this is how we begin to discover what it is that we're supposed to do with our life. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that through your son, Jesus, uh, you have made yourself available to us. Your spirit lives inside of us. And God, I pray for somebody that's here. There's just a major life decision. Uh, I pray that today, I pray that this week, they would just feel tremendous freedom. God, I pray for somebody uh, here who's in a crisis that they just don't need to be in. And it doesn't matter where they go, what they do. You do care, God, but when they get there, that's what you're concerned with, or when they stay, whatever it is. And so, God, walk with us, guide us, reveal to us more and more your moral will, your sovereign will, uh, so that we care about the things of God. And I thank you, God, that you are a personal God. And you do invite us to cast all our anxieties and cares upon you. And you invite us in this thing called life to move forward with confidence when we're being obedient to your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.